And we're so excited about the possibilities, the opportunity that we have to just carry on in what God is already doing here, what we've been doing around the outside of our building and now uh, flowing right into the inside of the building. And so we want to invite you to participate. We want to invite you to come and, and learn more so that we can together choose if we, this is where God is leading us as we go forward. So two events that I want to invite you to. The first one is called Imagine with Ridge. And we just want you to come this Saturday between 11 and 1 o'clock and hang out here at the church and, and, and take a good look around. We want to show you around the outside and around the inside. There'll be members of the building committee and the board here to answer your questions and to show you things up close. There'll be renderings for what we want to do on the inside and for an opportunity for you to ask all the questions that you have about why is it taking so long? When will it be done? Or why the extra cost? What are we thinking of doing on the inside? All of those things. And, and so plan to come. Half an hour of your time. We're gonna, our plan is to have a, a food truck here, some food for you. Uh, our staff will be here, our board and our building committee. It'll just be a great opportunity to answer all of your questions. That's this coming Saturday. Look for an invitation. Uh, we're going to mail it out to you uh, and uh, register online for that. Then on Sunday, after the second service at 11.45, is going to be our general meeting, where we're going to actually present it formally to the congregation, ask you to, uh, and again, make sure all your questions are answered, and ask you to vote and say, yes, we are, we're good. Let's do this. Let's see where God leads us next around this. So that, too, because of COVID, we need you to either register, or you can watch it online. But there's just an awful, uh, there's a bunch of sort of things you need to do, but it's so important that you come. So please do Check out the email that you would have received. Uh, register online and join us as we pursue uh, where we believe God is leading us to next. All right. Well, let's turn uh, to the word of God. In Psalm 63, David writes this. He says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know, David writes this when he's in the wilderness. It is a dry and a weary land where there is no water. And if you've ever been in a place where you are just so thirsty, I mean, your, your throat is parched and you, your body literally is yearning for, for water. That's what, that's what David is describing here. Only he's not talking about water here. Here instead, he's talking about his desire for God. Here he's saying, God, you know what I long for more than anything else is you. I want you in my life, God. And it's interesting to note that what he doesn't desire is not like he's desiring to be a better person. It's not that his desire is to have a better life or to not be in a dry and a weary land. His desire in the middle of everything, above all else, is to know God in a deeply, deeply personal way. In fact, he goes on to write this. He says this. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You hear in David's word that God for him isn't some sort of old grandfatherly type doddering old man trying to find his way around. Nor is he some sort of vague force out there just kind of doing what fate does. And nor is God for him some sort of intellectual idea to be bounced around. Rather for David, God is the all-consuming being. God is what it's all about. And so he goes on this way. He says this, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. More than anything else, more than anyone else, what David longs for is to know God, to have God in his life. And you know, in this letter that we're looking at in Philippians, uh, that we've been walking through together in chapter three now, the, the section that we're coming to, this is what the Apostle Paul is going to say. He's going to say it about Jesus. More than anything else in my life, I want to know Jesus. If you are here last week, you know that chapter three of Philippians started with the Apostle Paul kind of going on the attack against these guys who came and were saying that the way to be right with God was through keeping the law, through keeping all sorts of rules and doing it in your own effort and your own strength. And Paul just goes ape crazy on them. I mean, he's like, no, 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 no. He said, basically, I've tried that. I've been there. I've done that. I got the t-shirt. It doesn't work. In fact, he says, not only that, like I was the captain of the team. I was the, I was at the top of the honor roll. I was the poster child for trying to earn God's favor through good things. And it didn't work. No matter what I did, I couldn't accomplish it. In fact, he says, everything that I did, all that energy that I put in, all that effort I put into it, he says, I consider it a wash, a waste, good for nothing. And now in the section that we're coming to here in the second uh, part of that first section of chapter three, he says, instead, let me tell you what, what my passion is. Let, let me tell you what my heart's desire is. And like, like David, it's not to know more information about God. And it's not to, uh, you know, find a, a better way to just live in a self-help kind of way. It, it's not about self-improvement. His goal isn't prosperity or even personal happiness. This, he, he, here's what Paul's deepest desire is. It's to know Jesus in the most profound of ways. So let's read what he says. Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse eight, he says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the apostle Paul in verse eight begins this way. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's the goal. That's the surprise. That, that, that's what he is straining and striving toward, to know Jesus Christ. There is, there is no greater worth in his life than to know Jesus and to know him personally. In fact, he goes on to say, everything else I count is rubbish. If they translated that word like literally from Greek into English, the, the very literal word would be the kind of word you'd be like, Paul, you probably shouldn't be saying that word on a Sunday morning in church. Like he's very clear. All of this that I did before, everything else, as good as it is, is nothing in light of knowing Jesus Christ. I count it all rubbish. You know, in uh, 2009, uh, there's this guy named uh, Beckett Cook. Beckett Cook uh, lived in Los Angeles in Hollywood. He was a production designer in the fashion world. And he was at the top of his game. He was like the who's who in that world. He ran with the, all those high-level fashion people. And he was also openly gay. Uh, he had many boyfriends. He attended pride parades in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco. He'd marched in innumerable rallies, uh, you know, uh, seeking uh, equal rights for gay marriage. But in 2009, 
He had an extraordinary experience. In 2009, one day he went with his friend. They went to a very trendy cafe. They were sitting there on the beach and at a table over from him at that cafe came this guy who sat down with a couple of other guys. He opened a Bible and they talked. Those, the, the other guy and his friends talked for a while. Then his friends got up and left and, and, and Beckett's friend uh, nudged him and said, you should go talk to that guy. Go, go poke him. You'll get him mad because every time we talk to Christians, they get so mad about it, about, about us being LGBTQ. So that's what he does. He goes over, he talks to this guy and, uh, and the Christian guy uh, just engaged him in just a really rich conversation in a really beautiful, uh, you know, conversation about what he believes. And he answered his questions with conviction and clarity, but with gentleness and and it was just a great conversation. And at the end, he said to Beckett, you should come to church with me. Our church is in Hollywood. Uh, come this Sunday. And Beckett was like, not a chance. I mean, I, I never go to church. And yet all that week, that invitation just rang in the back of his mind. And, and that Sunday, he actually went up and he went to church. And what he says, he says is, on that Sunday, I walked into that church as a gay atheist. And two hours later, I walked out as a born again Christian in love with Jesus Christ. And in fact, he, he was stunned. He, he didn't expect, he was stunned by what happened in his life. And as a result, although he still has same-sex attractions, he chooses to no longer identify as gay. Instead, he says, I want to identify as my authentic, true self. And that means as a follower of Jesus. And because of that, he chooses to be celibate. Because he says, he says, uh, these are his words. He says, I believe God's plan and purpose revealed in the Bible is authoritative, true, and good. So he came out as a Christian and began uh, to identify as a follower of Jesus. And among his friends, uh, there was either skepticism or sometimes outright hostility. But nothing, he said, compared to when he published his memoir two years ago, 2019. And when he published his memoir explaining what Jesus had done in his life, he says, everything went crazy in his world. In fact, this, this is what he writes. He says, when I published my memoir, he says, my closest Lifelong friends completely abandoned me. And my production agency in Hollywood dropped me like a hot potato under the most vague and frivolous of pretexts, even though I was one of their top artists, earning them loads of money over the years. Of course, if my memoir had been a celebration of my gay identity, I would have had advertising and editorial clients beating down my door with even more job offers. In stark contrast to Elliot Page, who had recently announced his transition to being a man, who only gained approval and favor from celebrities and politicians, I lost both dear friends and my livelihood. But this is what he writes next. He says this, To be clear, I'm not complaining or claiming to be a victim. What I gained in Christ is absolutely priceless. Yes, the loss of close friendships and a lucrative career were harsh, but being in the kingdom of God more than compensates I am royalty, an heir of God and fellow heir with Christ. In contrast to Elliot Page, my joy is not quote, fragile, in that it depends on the affirmation of others. My joy is secure because I'm in Christ and thus favorable in the sight of God, whose approval is ultimately all that matters. It was, for, for uh, Beckett Cook, a profound transformation. But it came for him at a great, a great cost in his life. He, he gave up basically his entire, well, he lost basically his entire previous life because of it. But he understands Paul's words here. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. In fact, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
This is what happened for the Apostle Paul. This is what happened for this guy, Beckett Cook. It's what's happened for Christians throughout these centuries and to this very day because, because of the incredible surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And so in verse 9, Paul goes on and he says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul goes on to say this, look, in, my, in his day, everybody was trying to be right with God through being good enough, through keeping the law, through their own efforts. And Paul says, even I couldn't do it. As good as I was, it, it couldn't be done. Instead, he says, the way that I found that I could be right with God was through putting my faith in Jesus, in his righteousness, in his death and his resurrection on the cross. And that resulted in opening the door for me to be in a right relationship with God. But Paul didn't stop there. He didn't say, oh, good, I'm right with God. My relationship is good. Off I go. And nor did Paul fall back into the habit or the, 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 the trap that so many Christians do that once they accept Jesus by faith, then they go back in their life to try to earn God's favor again by being good enough in their own efforts. Instead, Paul says, no, no, no. I'm not done with all that stuff. What I want now more than anything is to know Jesus Christ at the deepest level because that's where the riches or that, that's where the depth and the beauty of life is to be found. That's the, that's the goal. That's, that's the place to go. So he comes back then to this in verse 10. He goes on to say this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now the apostle Paul says, look, if you want to know Jesus, if, if you want to know him deeply and personally, here's what you need to do. Here's, here's how you know him in that kind of a personal way. First of all, he says this, knowing Jesus deeply means knowing the power of the resurrection. You know, it's a funny thing about the resurrection. All, all Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, but the fact is very few understand the full implications of what the resurrection is all about. Uh, those who uh, are part of mainline uh, theologically liberal churches would see the resurrection as sort of a general concept, a, a symbol of the hope that one day good will ultimately triumph over evil. Uh, those of us who are, are in more theologically conservative churches, most of the sermons that we've heard about the resurrection are sort of lengthy arguments for the fact of the resurrection and that Jesus' resurrection validates who he claims to be. And in fact, the evidence for the resurrection is incredibly strong. And his resurrection does validate who Jesus is. But the fact of the matter is the, the resurrection is much broader than that. And that's where the Apostle Paul here talks about knowing the power of the resurrection. You see, the, the resurrection is not some sort of, you know, magic trick that, that Jesus or that God pulls to show that Jesus is God. It's not even sort of a blip in the natural order of things. Rather, the resurrection is the, the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of things to the way that God always intended it to be. As Tim Keller puts it, he puts it this way, the resurrection is not a stupendous magic trick, but an invasion. It's the beginning of what God intends to do in all of creation. And it started with Jesus' resurrection and it will end one day with his, his second coming, with his return. And, and so the Apostle Paul writes this, in uh, Romans 8, verse 11, he says this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. In other words, the same power that raised Christ in the dead is at work in your life. 
And that has a bunch of profound implications, but two that I want to point out right away. One that first has to do with the immediate, the right here and the right now. You know, until we enter into the kingdom of God, all of us live in these kingdoms of false gods. Because all of us, uh, we look somewhere for significance, security, identity, and meaning. And wherever it is that we look for that, those things become for us gods in our life. Uh, a lady named Rebecca Pippert writes this. Whatever controls us is really our God. The one who seeks power is controlled by power. The one who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. See, what she's saying is this. All, all of us, we need meaning and significance and importance in our life. We find that somewhere, but wherever we look for, that becomes the God in our life and it can control us. And the more we look to it, the, the greater the, the burden is in our life, the, the more those very things begin to enslave us. And what, what the Bible teaches us is that the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, frees us from the power of that in our lives. It frees us from the, the, the dominion of those false gods over our life. But it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us the power to actually change. It's the resurrection of Jesus in our life that gives us the strength by the power of the Spirit at work us to begin the process of changing. Not instantly, not always easily, but that process begins. That's the power of resurrection in our life for the here and now. That's the first part. But then secondly, the, the resurrection points to a new creation. The resurrection is the first fruits, the beginning, the promise of what God is going to do for all who put their trust in him. And it starts again on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead and it will come to completion or fulfillment when he comes again in all of his glory. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and earth and, and below the earth that Jesus is Lord. And, and, and on that day, God will reign supreme. And, and because of that, because of that, how we live our life now the perspective changes totally. We live in light of what God is going to do. We live knowing that this is not all that there is. So the, the challenges, the heartache, the struggles in our life, we can face those things with strength and with hope because of what Jesus is going to do, what he will do. And that means that we can live with grace and compassion and forgiveness and joy and a deep sense of hope. And when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not this sort of soft uh, thing that we sort of have in English. That word in Greek simply means a profound certainty. We know where this all ends. We know what God is going to do. And therefore, we have this strength in our lives. And therefore, there's, there's not a fear in our lives of death. There's not this fear of missing out or this fear of not being deeply loved and accepted. You see, when we understand what the resurrection is all about, there is this incredible power that comes in our life. And we can live in light of that. That's the first thing that Paul says. If we want to know Jesus, we need to live in light of his resurrection, in the power of his resurrection. But then secondly, th this one. If we want to know Jesus deeply, then we need to share in his sufferings. Now, this one's not as exciting as knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, but it's equally as important. You know, we think that somehow if we follow Jesus, that, that we shouldn't have to bear a lot of troubles in our life, that, that he should make our life just go easy. But that's not the case. In fact, there's something profoundly uh, powerful about sharing in the sufferings with somebody else. And in fact, you know this, if you've ever suffered deeply together with somebody, if you've ever walked through really deep waters together and just suffered together, you know that it, it bonds you in a way that nothing else would. And we see it 
probably most profoundly in the, in the, in the life of, of soldiers who have been in combat together. I mean, these men who didn't know each other end up in this dangerous, incredibly stressful uh, situation filled with all kinds of suffering. And as a result, their bond forms between them so that they'll literally risk their lives for one another to share in the sufferings of Christ, to experience rejection because of your trust in God, to experience betrayal because of your commitment to what God has called you to, to experience loss of a promotion or a prestige or reputation, to endure financial cost for the sake of Christ or whatever it is, is to know and understand Jesus more deeply. Because of course, Jesus came from glory in heaven. He came down and, and took on the form of a servant and then suffered so many things for you and for me. And so when we suffer, it's an invitation to walk with Jesus. The suffering in our life is not somehow to say, God, how could you? How dare you? Why would you let this? But rather it's an invitation to intimacy with him. And if you are willing to not shake your fist at God when that happens, to not complain and to ask God, why, why, why? But instead to enter into that and to, to allow that to, to draw you closer to Jesus. You will come to know Jesus in a way that few others ever do. You will know a depth in your relationship with him that you can't find simply by studying the Bible. Although, of course, there's great depth to know there. There's something that comes from sharing together in the sufferings of Christ. And so it's an invitation to know him deeply. And of course, the reason why you can endure and walk through the sufferings like Christ did is because even as Christ experienced resurrection, you know that there will be resurrection for you too. And so the power of Jesus' resurrection allows us to share the sufferings of Christ. It's the second way that we come to know Jesus deeply. And then the third way that we come to know Jesus deeply is by becoming like him in his death. The words that Paul literally used here means to be conformed to his death. The idea is to live a cruciform life. That, that's this image of clay being formed and shaped into a mold, the shape of a cross. It's your life shaped and formed by the power of the cross at work in your life. This is what Jesus talked about when he talked about taking up your cross and following him. This is what the apostles talk about throughout the, the New Testament about dying to yourself that you might find life in Jesus. And again, the way that we do that, the way that we can die to ourselves, is because we know that we will find resurrection through Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And for each of us, what that dying to self looks like is different. It, each of us have our own areas that we need to die to ourselves. Uh, for Beckett Cook, uh, whose story I've been telling you, he, here's what he writes for him. For him, it was about his sexuality. He says this, surrendering my sexuality hasn't been easy. I still struggle with vestiges of same-sex attraction. But, de but denying myself, taking up my cross and following Jesus is an honor. Any struggles I experience pale in comparison to the joy of a personal relationship with the one who created me and gives my life meaning. My identity is no longer in my sexuality. It is in Jesus. It's what each of us are to do. Whatever our struggle is, whether it's our sexuality or our pride or our love for money or our addiction to porn or alcohol or our desperate need to find our identity in the approval of others. I mean, whatever that is, the call is to allow it to die to be conformed to, 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 to the death of Jesus. Because that's how we know Jesus. That's how we are free to know Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul wants to know Jesus more and more deeply because there is no one greater than Jesus. There is no one more worthy than him because joy and freedom and peace 
which are the foundations of all human longings, are found not in our own strength, not in our own effort, not in, in what we can do and how we can be our own person and all that. It's been tried endlessly and found lacking. The place where we find that stuff is in a person. And that person is Jesus. It's so counterintuitive. And yet, it's the way to find life. And so that's why Paul ends with these words. Here's what he says at the end. And it's always been a bit of a challenge for people as they've read this. He says this, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, that can sound like all of a sudden, Paul's not so sure how he's going to attain the resurrection. He's like, I don't know, by any means, maybe hopefully I can find it. It's a little bit like you go to somebody and, and say, how do I get from point A to B? And they give you this map. They're like, well, you turn here, you go down this road, you, you go past this point, you turn left, and there you are. And then they add, I think, I mean, hopefully. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not like, oh, hopefully this works. The resurrection is a certainty. The map is very clear. There's no question about it. What Paul is saying here is, I don't know what the journey is going to be like. I don't know what it'll be like along the way. I don't know whether the road for you is going to be bumpy or smooth, whether the sun is going to shine the whole time or it's going to pour rain. I don't know if it's going to take you weeks or months or years. But in the end, you're going to arrive there. You see, he's saying this. He's saying, by whatever route God and his providence chooses for you and for me, and, and we don't know what that route is going to be, but whatever that is, I'm going to seek to know Jesus with all my heart. It's going to be the ambition of my life from now until the day that I stand in glory. And I'm going to do it by knowing the power of the resurrection. I'm going to share along the way in the sufferings of Jesus. And I'm going to allow my old self to die because in Jesus is where I find life. That's what it's all about. You see, Paul is no longer interested in religion. At least not religion the way everybody thinks about it, which is keeping the rules and doing things well enough to earn the favor before God. In the end, he found that that's not enough. He tried it. It didn't work. It could never be enough. Instead, like David in Psalm 63, he wants to know God. He wants God in his life. He wants to know Jesus. And the interesting thing is that it's likely that the letter to Philippians was written about 30 years after Paul gave his life to Jesus. So this wasn't some emotional outburst when he first met Jesus. This is a lifelong ambition that says, I want to know Jesus more than anything else, like, like David who pants, who's weary, who longs for water in the wilderness, who longs for God. Paul's saying, I want to know God. Here's a question for you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you still have that desire to know Jesus more? Do you still have that longing to have him in your life? For some of you, for some of you, it means that you're going to have to abandon some of the stuff in your old life. You're going to say, all that stuff in the past, I count it as loss. I, I, I consider it rubbish. For some of you, it's like the Apostle Paul. You're going to have to write off that whole part of your life. Say, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, that really wasn't that great. For others of you, there's a sacrifice. There's a cost like, like Beckett Cook. I mean, the, the, the sacrifice that he pays for the, the privilege of knowing Jesus is something that's a deep cost. I know others who literally their family said to them, if you follow Jesus, you are dead to us. And they chose to follow Jesus. A great cost. For some of you, there's a great cost to know Jesus. But for many of us, for many of us, the cost isn't that great. And yet, we need to keep pressing in. What is it in your life that you need to 
abandoned, that you need to give up, that you need to throw in the rubbish pile. It'll be so small compared to the sacrifice of many others that in some ways it's kind of embarrassing. Some ways it's, it's deeply embarrassing for like, ah, I don't even want to give up that because there's nothing greater. And yet this is where the gold is. This is where the richness and the deepness and the beauty of life is found. It's found not in keeping rules. It's not in all the other things the world says. It's found in a person. It's found in knowing Jesus. And so the invitation today, the, the challenge today is to go from here and to say, what is it in my life that I need to abandon? Where is it that I need to stoke my affections for Jesus so that I seek him with all of my heart? And listen, if you're a non-religious person listening to this, you're somebody who's like, yeah, I don't want religion because it's all about all those rules and about earning favor with God. If that's you, you don't want that kind of religion, the person you need to turn to is Jesus. Because with Jesus, it's about knowing him. It's about finding life in him. It's about being accepted before God because of what Jesus has done in your life. And if that's you, I encourage you, keep seeking after Jesus. He will change your life and be worth it. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you again for Jesus. God, that you would send Jesus, that we would know him, uh, that we can know him. Oh God, what a beautiful thing. And God, I just pray that you would meet each of us where we're at. Father, that we would get our eyes off of other things that we think are going to bring us security and significance and meaning, the things that enslave us. And instead, God, that we would turn our eyes to Jesus. And God, I pray for each of us, whether you're calling us to give up something incredibly big and, and, and hard in our life, or if it's just something small that you say, this too you need to leave behind to follow Jesus. God, would you grant us the courage to do that? God, so that we would know him, so we'd find our life in him, because this is where life is found. And Father, if there's anyone uh, listening who doesn't know you, uh, who doesn't have the, uh, that relationship with Jesus yet, God, may they just find Jesus today. May they just find that he is the way and the, the hope in this life. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.